summer we've been bringing up a lot of hard issues, a lot of difficult times people have been going through in the past year and a half, and just difficult times in life in general. And so to, to help us understand a little bit more today, uh, I'd like to call up Debbie. Would you please come forward? Everybody welcome Debbie. Hi. Debbie's going to share her story with you. Welcome to God Talk with Dan. <laughs> there. I think I got all right. Yeah. Oh. We got this. Is that okay? Hi. Is that good? Is that? Can everybody hear Debbie? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I want it to. <laughs> well, let me testing testing say I did not realize how much I missed going to church, and you guys just just welcomed me back with open arms and I am just so, so thrilled to be here. And I want to thank you all for that. And what? Rachel says I need to move it back. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's very intimidating. I have to do what Rachel says. It's in my contract. In your contract. It's, ah, now I can hear me. Jeez. Can't you do anything right the first time? Oh. Boom, gaffer. <laughs> Is that better, people? Yeah. Is that good enough? Okay. I want to show you all, I condensed my life as an alcoholic down to two and a half pages. So, uh, here you go. And I'll probably end up reading most of it because I'm not a speaker. Well, except when I'm drinking and then I like to talk. Okay. I am an alcoholic, and I quit drinking 13 days ago. I had been drinking for the last 14 years. I would drink from 4 o'clock in the afternoon or maybe earlier, depending on the situation, and I would drink until I went to bed, usually around 10 o'clock, but occasionally to 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. And that was not a good thing. So to go back for my history, I started drinking at the age of 21 when it was legal. I waited till it was legal because I was a good girl. And I started work at A.O. Smith. I had co-workers that included me in there. Uh, I worked second, so we had trips to the bowling alley after work. And that's where I met my husband. He was working at A.O. Smith. And six months later, after about six months of drinking with the guys and the girls, I met Mac and 
see. Oh, I was 23 when we were married. We moved to Kentucky to be close to family, and we partied on. Mac always stopped at a bar on his way home from work, so I never knew when he was going to be home, and I never knew what kind of mood he was going to be in, because believe it or not, he drank more than I did. So, we had plenty of drunken arguments, and he always told people that, oh, we're fine if only one of us is drinking and the other one's sober, but that wasn't exactly the truth. So anyway, after four years of marriage, he developed blood clots that were causing heart damage and little strokes in his head, and he refused to take blood thinners that the doctors offered him because he would have to stop drinking to do that. So he would get chest pains that would left, leave him on the floor struggling to breathe for hours, and then he would lie in the bed asleep for about 12 hours. And when he did go to work, he would go and he would come home maybe one or two days later and he would not remember where he'd been or what he had done. He would at home sometimes see things that weren't there and he refused to go to a hospital so we struggled with that. So during that time we came up to visit mom and dad for a few days and while we were up here in Troy, the house in Kentucky burned to the ground. And, of course, all this time we're drinking. I mean, we're, we're, we're drinking beer, maybe a case a day. Twelve, twenty-four cans of beer, or bottles of beer a day. So, we moved in with Mom and Dad because the house was gone and, and he couldn't work. And Mac found a job in Dayton. It, it was uh, repairing washing machines. So I wasn't drinking while we were living with my mom and dad because I was a good girl. Then, that's half a page. Then Mac, Mac got mad at my dad and we moved into a little trailer. And while we were living in the trailer, Angus was born. Yeah, my pride and joy. As after Angus was born, Mac's spells became less frequent and apparently his heart was healing slowly from the damage. He still had spells, but he became a big shot at work after a couple, three years or so. He was, uh, he was very charming, and, and so he became second in command at the company, but he started going to bars after work, and he was drinking with all the other big shots lawyers, business owners, whatever. So we went to lots of fancy dinners and we went to lots of parties. By the time Angus was five, I was drinking every day, day again. And about once a week, we'd have an argument at home. So one night, Matt got home late, and this was when Angus was about three. Angus jumped up on his dad's lap and Matt said, go sit on the couch, what are you, some kind of a fairy? which hurt, hurt me. Angus ran over and jumped up on the couch. And then the next morning when Mac was sober and Angus jumped up on the couch, Mac said, come over here and sit on your daddy's lap. And can you imagine what that does to, to a kid? How confused he could be and how confused I was. So Mac would break lamps. lamps. He would put out, he put out the seltzer in my little aquarium one time. Of course, when Mother's Day rolled around, I got a bigger aquarium because that's the way people do. 
And then he put a telephone in it. <clears throat> so, he was a mean drunk. And I was just your standard abused wife. I didn't want to tell anybody what was going on. He didn't beat the tar out of me. I got to tell you, he didn't, he didn't do that. A smack upside the face was good enough. So, I know that it wasn't all his fault. I, he, was, he had a bad upbringing, and I didn't always contribute to the situation. A lot of times, I helped aggravate him, I'm sure, because I was drinking too, and even, when, even if I wasn't, that didn't help. So, I still found ways to be aggravating, maybe. So, he lost his job because of the alcohol, which left us with nothing because we hadn't saved anything. We'd just been spending what, we, what he got. So I, got a, I found a job working with metal, paid four twenty-five an hour, and he got a part-time delivery job because he was overqualified for anything that was open out there. So we weren't partying anymore but we were drinking vodka by now. So I hated to come home from work because Mac had usually figured out something to be mad at me about. Sometimes I, I, I knew when I opened the door that if he was going to yell at me, he was going to start yelling the minute I hit the door. But anyway, To me, at that point in time, life seemed to be absolutely pointless. I just did not see any reason in why we live, why go through life if this is all there is, you know? So I coped by drinking. And over the years, I'd left Mac. I'd been kicked out several times. And we always had fixes, and none of them ever worked. After a week or two weeks, it all just came back to what it had been before. So one night, let's see, where was I? Excuse me. Okay, Angus is 14. And when Angus was 14, Mom asked us to come to Troyview for the Bring a Friend Sunday. And Mac actually agreed to go. And that's when we met Pastor Craig. After, after that, one night Mac and I had a fight. I spent the night at Mom and Dad's house. Luckily, they were off camping, so they didn't know we'd had a fight. And I woke up on the couch the next morning. And when I woke up, I sat up. And both of my knees were just oozing from the rug burns I had from being drugged across the carpet. And I just looked up and I said, God, I can't do this anymore. And it was just amazing. The, the peace that passes understanding just washed over me so suddenly and I was, I mean it was just complete and I was assured that drinking was not going to be a problem anymore. So, Mac decided when I went home that day, he said there'd be no more alcohol in our home. So Craig came over a couple times and talked to us and, and I got lit on fire by the Holy Spirit, I think, I would guess. And I started going to Troyview every week, and I finally got baptized there. 
I was so happy. It was like two weeks, I just could not believe it. I'd open the car door and say, really, you know? It was, it was, it was amazing. I just was so thrilled. But Mac had started drinking again. And about a, a year later, I was sober for that year. He wasn't. About a year later, a deputy had to come to the house, and he took me and Angus into the women's center. We were in there about a week, and and we, Alan Demet, talked to me and Mac together, and uh, we came to an agreement, and Mac quit drinking. I got I got diagnosed with chronic depression. Started taking Zoloft, and that took care of that problem. And so, I have to say, we joined a Union Baptist Church, and we were very involved, very involved for as long as we we had been there, or for as long as we were there. And we had a great marriage for 11 years before he died from cancer. Six months later, I started drinking again. Angus, my son, got into drugs, and then my dad died. So, and I quit going to church, and while only one person from that church tried to find out if I was okay, and it wasn't a pastor. So, I just quit because I didn't think I was getting what I needed or what I wanted, or... I didn't want to be responsible for my behavior. I also ended up becoming an enabler for two drug addicts. Drug addiction, drug addiction killed five of my son's classmates. Young people. And he could have been one of them the way he was going, but luckily, thank God, he got six months in prison. I also, during that time, let a friend stay with me after her boyfriend died from an overdose. I wanted to help her get back on her feet. She told me she was clean and off the drugs. I loaned, so I loaned her a lot of money to help her. She didn't have a car. I gave her money to get a car. And after she went to prison, because she got arrested and went to prison, I found out she had stolen everything of value out of my basement and out of my garage. Things she knew I wouldn't notice. But she also pawned Max of my wedding bands. And I, that's what hurt the most. I tried to get them back, but the pawn shop had already melted them down for the gold in them. So I still miss that. That's something I... Forgiveness. It's hard to find the forgiveness. I've forgiven her, we've talked, and everything. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it's a hard thing to keep, to keep where it belongs, you know, to keep forgiven. So, I was still working. I drained my 401k. I never had credit in my life. I maxed out. I got credit. I maxed out three, three credit cards. I got a loan on the house. And I kept drinking. I still prayed. Some. I went to church maybe once a year. And I read the Bible every day for the first week of January when the new year rolled around. And that's about how long it lasted. I did spend a lot of time apologizing to God 
because of the way I was living. And, and I kept telling him I trusted him to take care of me and take care of my son, take, take care of everybody. And a few weeks ago, Mom been nag, nag, nag. When are we going to draw with you? When are we done? So we came back. <clears throat> and so then, yeah, thank you. She's happy. I'm happy. Then we we were here, what, three, I think three, four weeks, and the Holy Spirit did his thing with me. I have my joy in the Lord back. I have my peace back. I have my life back, actually. And I can't, I just can't, when you're not in church, you don't realize what it's doing to you when you're not there. And until you get back and, and everything comes back. I just want to say, God is, God is great. God is good. I didn't have, I didn't use anything for coping when I was drinking because I wanted to drink. That was my coping mechanism. And when God said, that's, now's the time, it, it was a time for me. I know my son, bless his heart, he has to go to the AA meetings to, to uh, stay on track. But I just want to let you know my friend got off drugs when she got out of prison and married, and we don't speak anymore, but we did. You know, she's just better off without being around the people that she knew when she was doing drugs. And Angus is sober. He's happily married with three kids. He has his own business. And he and his wife love the Lord. Thank you. Anything else? Anything Thank you, else? Debbie, for being brave enough to share your powerful story with us. Oh, yeah, it's very powerful. Is, is Natalie your mother? Yes. Okay. Natalie Peoples right here is okay. Debbie's mom. Mm -hmm. okay. Thank you, Debbie. So I injured my, really injured my My pleasure, Dallas. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Addiction is one of those things that has a lot of stigmas to it. Has a lot of stereotypes, just like a lot of things we've been talking about the past few months. And when somebody hears the word addiction, you know, oftentimes our mind goes right to the movie or the TV show with the heroin junkie using a dirty needle in an alley. But that's that's just one example. Addiction is so much more encompassing. And I'm willing to bet that every single person in here struggles with some addiction of some kind. Some pleasure that has become an obsession, that has become an, a compulsion. We could use that definition for addiction today. A pleasure, not always sinful. You know, food isn't sinful. God gave it to us. We're going to talk more about that maybe next week, or maybe I shouldn't tell you that, so you come back. But a pleasure that has become an obsession that then becomes a compulsion. And we are all what we could call addicts to sin. So we all have this old nature that we talk about, the old nature and the new nature, we're a new creation in Christ. And too often we can kind of keep going back to this old nature. And like Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I do want to do. And that's that fighting with the old nature. The, the chains, we're, we're trapped in these handcuffs 
of whatever it is of our own making. It's different for everybody. In the past year and a half, I'm sure you can imagine that addictions of every rate have, every kind, have skyrocketed. Absolutely just skyrocketed. Um, to help you find your addiction, if uh, some of you are in denial today, by the way, what do they say that confession is the first step? What's the first step? Admitting you have a problem is the first step to recovery. So to help you, if you say, oh, I should let my friend hear about this message, or I know somebody who's addicted, well, let me go grab the mirror and let's all look at ourselves for a minute. And I want you to think about these questions. What couldn't you imagine going three weeks without? What do you plan your life around? What behavior or habit or unhealthy desire um, could you simply not stop? Okay? What behaviors are preventing you from growing in Jesus? Or what behaviors are causing you to suffer? in any way, shape, or form. What thoughts are consuming you? What are you spending a lot of your money and time and energy on? What do you feel like you have to hide from other people? What leaves you anxious, guilty, or empty when you use it, but you keep on using it? Let's say when you're grumpy or scared or depressed or bored or irritable, where's the first place you turn? And where do you turn for comfort and pleasure and protection or satisfaction or purpose? See, it's much more than just, oh, I don't do heroin, I'm not addicted. Well, I don't touch alcohol, I'm not an addict. It goes much deeper too so many areas of our life. I'll give you a few examples. If you're still having a hard time figuring out what your addiction is, it could be a hobby. It could be a phone or a tech gadget that you got to have all the time. It could be social media, always updating and checking and checking. It could be TV or entertainment. It could be video games. There are so many real tech addictions nowadays. People have to go to detox. It has killed some people. Literally, uh, I heard about Japan. They had this thing where this guy, and this has happened several times, but he was playing video games so long, so addicted that he didn't eat, didn't drink, didn't sleep, and he died. Like literally, this is, this is becoming a problem. Not everybody's like that, but this is just an extreme example. Of course, we have drugs, we have alcohol, we know those. Sugar is addicting, we'll talk about that maybe next week. Chocolate, am I stepping on your toes yet? See, we like to make fun of these things. Uh, gone from preaching to meddling. See, we make fun of some of these things to try and make ourselves feel better about our addiction. How about eating, caffeine, Mountain Dew, tacos, anybody? Oh, I'm preaching myself now. Potato chips, right? Or even nicotine, athletics. Exercise can be addicting. Shopping. Being addicted to politics or, or the news. You have to constantly know everything that's going on. Uh, a big growing addiction, addiction in the past 20, 30 years has been pornography with the internet. And sex addictions are rampant. Gambling, of course. Money addictions, work addictions, even pet addictions. Uh, and the list goes on and on and on and on. On the Strange Addiction Show, I don't know if you've ever seen that. I've never heard about it until this week. There's a show called Strange Addictions. Uh, there are people even addicted to 
eating drywall, eating glass, eating toilet paper. I hope it's un unused. Right? Uh, I heard addictions to licking cats, like licking cats. They have to feel that on their tongue. Really, really weird. Did you say one, Carrie? She would eat the hair. Did she uh, uh, cough up a hairball? Oh. Whatever floats your boat, okay? Different people are made in different ways. Now, whatever gets you your fix, okay? And it's different for everybody. But our addictions can cause lots and lots of health problems. We could do a whole 10-week series about addictions. We're not, we're barely scratching the surface today. There's health problems, there's relationship problems, there's work problems with all these different things. But in trying to find the root cause this week, if you want to write this down in your notes, I was trying to, to discover like what would be helpful to, to get to the root of the problem. And I think I may have found it, or at the very least it may be helpful, that the root of addiction is slavery to idolatry. Slavery to idolatry. Go ahead and turn your Bibles, uh, if you want to, with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 in the New Testament, or three-fourths of the way through the Bible, book of Romans. Slavery to idolatry, I believe, is where a lot of this comes from. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Paul says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. Oh, he admits he's the problem. That's the first step, right? For I am all too human. A slave to sin. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Anybody? But I know that what I am doing is wrong. This shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. you ever feel like that sometimes? That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Anybody relate? But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And so he says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably, inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law, don't you? With all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. Have you been there? This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am, Paul says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Why is Paul this way? Why are we this way? Because it's our natural human condition, our inclination to lean back into that sinful nature. The old person. Until Jesus comes back and frees us from that old sinful nature. Jesus, he frees us from our chains, 
but we still decide, we, we lock the cell, and we keep ourselves enslaved so often. And, and you feel the struggle, don't you? Pulling you back in to that, the slavery, to sin, pulling you back in to the chains which bind you. And that bondage is to our, our sin, and uh, if you flip over to 1 Corinthians, I want to read, um, turn to one more verse today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul here also describes this, this sin struggle that we deal with. It's, root, it's rooted in our sinful nature, but, but what is that? It's, it's rooted in idolatry. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 1. Paul says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. If you remember Exodus, the book of Exodus, and Egypt, and Moses, okay? All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. And the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Lots of idols here, lots of addictions. Verse 9, nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. And then he has this, one of the most powerful passages about temptation. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. So, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. Isn't that powerful? When we are tempted, just like Jesus was tempted, he could have sinned, but he chose not to. He chose to be perfectly obedient to the Father. Never sinned, though he was tempted in every way like us. However, we are tempted, and too often, when God shows us a way out, we choose not to take it. And we choose to give in to that temptation, time after time after time. I like this phrase, it took one day for the Israelites to leave Egypt, but... 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. I'll say that again. It took one day to get Israel out of Egypt, but 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. It was in their hearts. The false god worship, the, the sinful nature that they were inclined to. Their hearts were still back in Egypt, even though they were following God and continuing on. And that's where our hearts can be too. It's not just that we're addicted to something. It's that that thing, whatever it is in your life, has crept into our hearts and taken over residence. Right? It's enticing us uh, to give 
It's not just a drug, it's not just a, a substance, it's not just a high, it's not just a, um, you know, high from refreshing dopamine and, and seeing the new people posting or whatever. It's that it's trying, it, it, it's, it's about worship. It's about allegiance in our life rather than the one true God. And so what happens is we end up filling our hearts, filling our minds, worshiping, we make sacrifices to this thing that we're addicted to, sacrifices with our time and money and, and energy. We make sacrifices of ourselves. We give of ourselves. We are so wrapped up in this thing where we should be wrapped up in Jesus. Or should, we should be a Jesus junkie. But instead of being addicted to Jesus, which is one way, one helpful way to get off of whatever it is you're addicted to, to find the higher addiction, to not, uh, to not find a higher power, to find, but to find the highest power, to have God rule and reign in your heart. Instead, we let other things in. And we let them rule and them reign and them make our decisions and them control us and bind us in chains. See, the problem isn't what's outside. It's not necessarily the bottle or the pill or the, the substance or the show or, or the whatever, the money. That's just a reflection of our heart. It's what's in our heart. It's the idol in our heart that we have made in us. It's the, the struggle inside of us that we allow those things outside of us to control us. And even though our idols look very different from little statues that people made thousands of years ago, today we are still worshiping many false gods. Many, many false gods that we let into our life. And so what we got to do is we got to seek to smash these idols, get them out of our lives, let God and Jesus fill our hearts to replace that addiction, that thing that is filling our life, and, and let them take their rightful throne in our lives. If we ever hope to be at all free from the chains of addiction that bind us. I'd like to uh, have Stefan and Harley. Y'all know Stefan? Say, hey, Stefan! That's what Gideon calls him. Stefan. Hey, Stefan. And this is Harley. Everybody welcome Stefan and Harley. Thanks for joining us today. They would also like to share their story, and, and let me get you another microphone. You can go here. first. <laughs> what happened to the ladies first? Oh, ladies oh, first. Oh, no. Here, before we do, Rachel's going to yell at me. Can you just say hi? Hi. Okay, it works. Thank you for sharing. You want me to go first? I'll go first because I okay. want to give you the uncle. <laughs> hey, guys, how y'all doing? It's always uh, a pleasure for me to be able to come and share uh, a part of me. I, my part is I'm not an overcomer. I'm, I'm going to establish that. Because I did nothing in that part to remove that yoke from around my neck. Early 90s, I did crack. I just stopped it. It was gone. I didn't have a problem with cigarettes. And that addiction is... That's what pleases you. It gives you pleasure. Oh, excuse me. Hold on, hold on a second. <laughs> so, I, uh, <laughs> and you wouldn't think 
that this addiction <coughs> is as gruesome as heroin, crack, meth. And it didn't give me pleasure. It was like a sedation to me. My ex-wife used to say, it's not good to be around you when you don't have cigarettes. The nicotine had consumed my very body to the point where I smoked a cigarette before my feet hit the floor. Laying there in the bed with a cigarette in my mouth. I first started at 13 years old back in Cleveland, Ohio. My first cigarette was a Salem. I advanced to a cool. Then Newport short in the box came along. And I remember that I could, that my brothers and sisters at, at 15, you could mama smoked, everybody smoked. Cause sometimes, sometimes we as kids we 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 tend to emulate what we see. So keep your house clean. Keep your house clean. Because those little ones whom you always say, okay, junior choir, it's time to go back there to junior church. They will emulate what they see you do. So keep your house clean. At 15, you could, tell, you could, you could ask mama for permission to smoke. And at 15, I asked permission, could I smoke? And that was around her because I did it, you know, and, and not in front of her. But you could get permission to smoke in the house around her. And I remember we had these silver ashtrays with, with dolphins with the mouth open. One was going this way and one was going that way and you could stick the cigarette in the dolphin's mouth. I did not do anything, a 12-step program, patch, nicotine anonymous. I didn't do any of that. And I said that I am not the overcomer. I, I think the part here with us who are addicted, being the overcomer, the moment you get that epiphany, who removed that from you, then you take on this path right here. Atlanta Bible College, 2016, Standing Student with the boys. Jacob Parr, Brooke Anthony, forgot Brooke's last name, Grant, to my housemates. I'm smoking. 35 years. I counted it up. From 13 to, to then. 35 years. Newport Shore in the box. And, 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 and they heard my wheezing because now uh, I had developed C-O-P Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Probably is my death sentence. I, I probably know what I'm going to go from is going to be a respiratory failure because I destroyed my lungs so bad 
So right now I'm on an inhaler, a maintenance inhaler, a rescue inhaler, a nebulizer. I, most of y'all have doctors, primary doctors. I have a pulmonologist. That was not good. So that point where I know that I didn't do nothing, these guys in school say, hey, um, we're concerned with your breathing. We want you to uh, try the vape. Because the, 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 the vapor, it'll help. Try the vape. Don't help none and and I, 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 I'm praying to God. I pray every night. Father God, please take the taste of the cigarettes away from the fiber of being in my body. And, 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 and I tried to vape. And 2016, I came here. My very first time at Summit to go to camp. We met here that Monday back there. I had the vape machine in my back pocket, we were sitting in that room back there. The first time I met Riley and all these guys here, and the chairs were stacked, and I sat on the chair, and it, it was in my pocket, and I heard something go crack, crack, crack. I'm like, oh my God, that's not my face. <laughs> Pulled it out of my pocket, oil, the glass reservoir had broken. I'm like, oh, what am I do now? Nowhere to go get another vape, go get anything. So, I struggled with what I was going to do. But here's the story to that part right there. Gone. No more vape. No more Newport short in the box. No more anything. Do you know what happened? The thought that I smoked cigarettes was removed. I would walk to the store, go in and, and, and see people with a cigarette or getting cigarettes. And the thought never dawned on me that I smoked a cigarette, that I was a, a slave to nicotine, that I had become an addict to nicotine. It was never a thought on my mind. The thought had been removed by the renewing of my mind. I didn't do it, so that's why I say when you get that epiphany, you need to give honor and glory to the person that gave you that because you know you did not do it on your own. Because for 35 years, I struggled. I didn't even take a patch or whatever thing they had out there because I was too weak to do that. I woke up one morning and I had no more addiction for a cigarette. I was overcame. I'm not an overcomer. I was overcame. God removed the taste of a cigarette from the very fiber of my being. Till this day, as a matter of fact, that little stage performance I just did with the cigarette, it didn't taste well and it stank. <laughs> so, then why'd you uh, ask me for the cigarette? It was props. It was a prop. <laughs> they got the point. Stage show. Okay. So that's what I want to let you guys know. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I prayed. I prayed, and I can't say. I, I don't know. I guess in due season, in God's own time. I don't know. I, I, I cannot tell you. I, I'm not one to say, "Hey, I went through a 12-step program," or 
read books on it or what. I know I did one thing. I prayed and I was in the right place with the right people at the right time to get the right results. I don't think you can get the right results if you're not in the right place in the right company with people who know you, put that oil on you to help deliver you from those things. Being out there in the streets, I don't think that would have happened because all we did out there in the streets was smoke Newport short in the box, drunk a boy when we got our work, or I had my half a pint of cognac, but that's just who you hang out with. And see, when you hang out with those people who, who personifies a different lifestyle, things will happen in your life. It'll work in your life. So I just wanted to share that. That was my story, 35 years. Now I want to, I wanna, this young lady here, I have to introduce her. This is Miss Harley Beverly. She is the out, she is the rescue and recovery coordinator for the Springfield Project 12. Here's Miss Harley, Harley Beverly. Hi, I'm a little nervous. Not a little, hold on. Um, I'm from Springfield, Ohio. Uh, Uncle told me about this church and I'm like, oh yeah, let's go. So, I'm just now finding God. I've been an addict since I was 13 years old. It's not been easy. I typed my story out. So, I got a little bit of cuss words in there, but I'm going to go over their cuss words instead of saying them words. <laughs> okay. Uh, my name's Charlie, and this is a story of my life. We lived at 1408 Laganda Avenue, and I went to Simon Kenton Elementary. I don't remember much about it. I know I went to kindergarten there. That's about it. That's all I did. Um, CPS, which is Child Protective Services, came in and took me and my sister from my mom because she was an addict just as well. Um, my sister and me went to Anthony Wendell Elementary School, which I guess I got my first boyfriend when I was in elementary school. I, I'm not really sure. <laughs> I was trying to hang out with boys. I shouldn't have been doing that because it was not good. I shouldn't have worried about schoolwork instead of boys. Um, my papa died. That was my rock. My mama and papa was my mom and dad. Uh, he ended up with cancer when I was seven. I went to Schaefer Middle School. I remember one time, uh, my left knee likes to pop out of place a lot. Um, so I got to ride in an EMT to a community hospital. And I thought I was cool. Hey! <laughs> but uh, I was in seventh grade and I ran away from home and ended up getting raped. And I think that started a lot of my drug addiction. Uh, I was in middle school and started acting out because nobody believed me that it happened. I told my aunt Shining, hey, I need to go to the hospital, and she never took me. Uh, my grandmother passed away when I was 13. She raised me to be a good person. 
everything backfired when she passed away. My mother regained custody of me and my sister back, and everything went to H-E-L-L. And that's just the beginning of my story, and this is to who it may concern. I wrote this when I was in Clark County Jail incarcerated last year. I've been clean off of drugs for almost 12 months now. Next month on the 28th will be a year. Thanks to that guy right there. He gets me on my, my toes. <laughs> and I love Springfield Project 12. My kids are involved. That's the best thing that's ever happened in my life. Uh, my name's Harley, and I've been getting high since I was 13. I started after my grandmother passed away. She had been raising me since I was about a year old. My mom was an addict. My mom... took me back to raise me at 13. Then she sold me to a drug dealer. I don't, I love my mom, but I don't like her. Uh, I was with him until I was 16. I have endured things that no child or person should ever thought or witnessed in their entire life. I have, I talked, I go to M EMDR at McKinley Hall, which is a drug um, recovery center in Springfield for counseling because of this. And it's the best counseling in the world. I do 12 steps. I have admitted I'm powerless off of drugs. I don't want it no more. I have the desire to not want to use. But when it comes to energy drinks, I'm addicted. Bad. Or food. Yeah. I like food. Uh, he physically, mentally, and emotionally, and sexually abused me. Then at the age of 14, I ended up pregnant with twins by this man. And I had two girls, and their stomachs was on the inside out, and they only lived for six hours. Uh, and then I, got away, I ran away from him. I escaped by running away. I moved in with my Aunt Shawnee which she had custody of me by then. She took it from my mother because she heard the stories and the things that happened to me. Well, I moved in with her to try to become more stable with my life and see what life was about to try to become something. I did get a high school diploma. <laughs> I graduated in Oh nine. I then ended up pregnant again. Before I graduated high school, I got pregnant at 15 and had him at 16. So, within me being 15 years old, I ended up with two pregnancies at the same time. One was before I came home, 
and one was after I came home and had him at 16. His name's Stephen. He's 13 years old right now. We have no contact, but he's with my cousin. My sister talks to him, so that's a good thing because I know everything that happens. So, he's my bundle of joy, just like the other two babies. I could, I'm getting ready to get married, hopefully soon, because <laughs> I've been waiting for six years for this, uh, which is Aaron Ashton, and then we have another baby we just have found out. It's my fiance's baby. His name's Wyatt. He'll be coming home soon, too. So I have four boys and one girl. And she lives in Indiana with my fiance's ex-wife's mother. Yeah. <laughs> I got a big family, man. <laughs> I love them now. They're my pride and joys. Them two little monsters out there drive me nuts, but they're my babies. So. Uh, I became a young mother of 16. I was not ready to be a parent. I practically had no one to teach me. Um, I learned no responsibility as an adult to be a parent. Nobody ever taught me. I didn't even know how to change a diaper when I got pregnant. <laughs> you should have seen my son crapped in my hand one time and I was so mad. Oh, and then he decided to puke in my mouth. I was had him up in the air playing with him. Yeah, it was bad. I gagged for like two days. Uh, I like to drink. I used to. At 16 years old. They found me one time in the park from a bottle of 151 rum. And they had to pump my stomach because I drank almost a half a bottle of rum by myself. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Uh, one night, I left my baby with my Aunt Shawnee. I feel so bad about this. And I went out and got drunk. I came home and took my baby to bed with me. I woke up and my cousin told me that I rolled on my son while I was asleep. And I couldn't kill him. I don't remember anything that happened. When I woke up, my cousin was coming and getting my son out of his bassinet. That's all I remember. I shouldn't have been drinking. I had no business to be drinking at that young anyways. Uh, my Aunt Shawnee's husband began to molest me at the age of 17. He was molesting me for months before anyone found out. I told my aunt Shawnee, she said she was going to divorce him and she lied to me and stayed with me. And I looked up to him a lot. My Uncle Junior was my best friend. We used to go fishing, we used to do drywall together. Uh, my aunt Shawnee's house caught on fire and we hung her whole ceilings. And he taught me how to tape drywall and mud it. I had a blast on my Uncle Jim. My Uncle Jim was my rock. Until that happened. I still talk to him. I made amends with a lot of people. 
that have hurt me and that I've hurt because that's a step in the 12 steps. Uh, <coughs> I started prostituting at the age of 17 because I was addicted to crack cocaine and heroin. I do one time. Thank God that when they got me in the EMT, I woke, I woke up from Narcan. They hit me seven times with it. And I looked at the EMT and I said, why'd you wake me up? I was just asleep. I don't remember OD. And all I remember doing was a half a bump off of a card, and I didn't know it was straight fentanyl. Uh, I've been in the hospitals my whole life, from mental health issues, out of jails. I've got my mental health in control now, so we're good. <laughs> uh, bipolar, depression, anxiety. ADD, ADHD. <laughs> I've got a lot of problems. <laughs> I take like six meds a day, so. <clears throat> and I'm only 30. Uh, I reached out in jail and seeked help from McKinley Hall and Mental Health. McKinley Hall and Judge O'Neill saved my life. If it wasn't for me going in somebody's house and over marijuana and they pressed burglary charges on me for it, I have no idea how they did that because all I stole was a half a gram of weed. <laughs> That's all I know. Well, I told the officer that came and interviewed me that I went inside the house because I needed, I needed help. And I'm tired. I wouldn't have my kids right now. They, they was involved with CPS and within a four day period of me getting out of rehab and dropping clean screens, I ended up custody with my stepkids. My fiance don't even have custody of them. I do. <laughs> don't know how that happened, but God works in mysterious ways. I... I was stuck on the recommended, recommended medications. I really hope I can be given a chance to live a lifestyle like a normal person. I just now started getting involved with God. I think if it went for uncle and my disciple group, I don't think I would know anything about him. Me and Uncle on the way up here this morning was talking about me getting baptized. And that's what I call him, Uncle. So, I'm really, I want to go to school for ministry. Now, Revelation scares me a lot. <laughs> but I have to get over that fear. And I don't think anything, I don't think that's going to happen to us anytime soon. So, 
but if I if I wouldn't have got help, they'd have found me dead. I ended up in prison because of what happened to me and me getting in trouble. I have 36 months of felony probation at 30 years old. I don't want to end up like my dad. My dad's doing 15 years right now. For robbing a carry-out store. I've learned from my mistakes. And I'm very responsible. And I help a lot of people in Springfield that are addicts. At the 12. And I love my disciple group. And it's making me want to go to school for ministry. So me and uncle's going to start looking that up very soon. <laughs> if I have to, I'll get an FOA, which is, uh, what's that called? What's it called? I forget. Is it I'm alone with them? Yes, alone to pay for my groups or my classes online. And I can do it at the 12, so. But with that, that's my story. Is it Harley or Harleen? Harley. Harley. Like what? Okay. I thought I heard more. Vroom, vroom. Thank you. Vroom, vroom. You're welcome. Thank you, Harley. Thanks, Unc. Can I say something briefly, quickly? Okay. Guys, that story right there, that's your dollars. You remember this church? You blessed the 12. Say your blessing right there. We thank you. Thank you. And she thanks you. Hello. I'm going to go have a cigarette. Yeah, here, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for sharing their stories today, past couple months. I just, if you want to write this down, I'll be real quick, okay? And then we can go get Marion's pizza. Everybody's invited to the fit group. You may feel helpless, but it, it's not hopeless. You may feel helpless sometimes. It is never, ever, ever hopeless in your life. No matter how you're feeling, there is always hope. There is always healing in Jesus no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been in your life. And the road to recovery starts with self-discovery. Confession. Like James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. you got to know that you and I, we cannot do it on our own. You can try and try and try and fail and fail and fail. We are only as strong as we are honest in our lives, to ourselves and to those around us. So how do we become an overcomer? How do we be free in this? I want to read to you uh, what Paul wrote in Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by that yoke of slavery. Ephesians 5. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. God and Jesus, they want us to be free. 
whatever your and my addiction is, they're calling us to be free. And so to overcome an addiction, we've got to chase after not just that desire, but our deepest desire, that of God and Jesus in our lives, and, and let the fleeting pleasures of our life, like we talked about, leave from our heart and, and smash those idols. If we don't confess, if we don't tell others, if we're not honest, if we don't run from temptation, if we don't get help, if we don't flee from those things that are, are binding us, then we will live our lives forever in chains. And I don't want that for myself, and I don't want that for any of you. So as we sing our last song, um, may we all learn to, like Hebrews 12 says, strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Can I get amen? Ah, oh, you know that in your life. I know that. Strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And then what? And let us run the race at the Olympics. We're going to run the race with endurance. The race that God has set before us, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And never, ever, ever forget that you are not defined by your addiction. Or any of these things that we've been talking about. You are defined by being a follower of Jesus. And he defines you as an overcomer. Your addiction does not define your life. Let Jesus define your life. Would you stand with us and sing?
pray with me? Heavenly Father, you know everything that we are going through in life. You know what we are dealing with. You know that besetting sin, that thing that we are clinging to today that has us trapped, that we feel in chains to, in bondage to. We've locked ourselves in that cell and won't let ourselves be free like you've called us to. I pray today, I pray this week, that you would break those chains that bind us, Lord. That you would pour out your power and your spirit to help us overcome. To be the overcomers that you've called us to be. I know that until your son returns, we will still struggle with sin. We will still have difficulties and darkness in this world. But I pray that every day you would give us courage and strength and power in the name of the Lord Jesus to be the people that you called us to be, doing what you called us to do. God, we could not do it without you and the power of your son Jesus. And him and you we give all the glory and all the praise for all our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said.